Well, good morning, good day, good evening, whenever you are joining me. I just noticed the microphone is getting ready to fall. I am trying to record this in a new spot. It is a little tenuous, so fingers crossed. Uh, the microphone doesn't crash, the dog doesn't wake up, and we can get this because, you know, I only got one take. Uh, my name is Jill. This is Jill's Journals Out Loud. It is Wednesday. It is still June. It is still 2022 and there is a lot going on out in the world, which I kind of alluded to on Monday. So this podcast is going to be more than one thing. I'm going to be expanding a little bit from my just trying to do one topic with you. Uh, But the first thing I want to address is what we talked about last Monday. Uh, And so, you know, in thinking a lot about the question, what I had asked from you to think about was how you were dealing with Uh, the overwhelming pressures of both what's going on out in the world uh, and maybe what's going on with you at a practical level. And, you know, one of the things that I came away with is something that I know, but it sort of reinforced what I do in a new way. I think it gave me uh, a greater clarity to communicate that to you. And, uh, you know, what we're trying to do here is to not solve every problem, to not control every event. And before I go any further, uh, you know, the thing that I never want to say that is the only thing that matters is the two most horrible words in the English language is personal responsibility. And I don't like to talk about that because nobody wants it. So if you are here and you are seeking Uh, information to confirm your existing process and systems of uh, just trying to control everything, blaming or complaining or opining, I guess opinionating is a fourth one. This is not going to be the right place for you because I'm trying to think of a better way to say personal responsibility. Uh, Jocko Willinks, I think his name is, he calls it extreme ownership and because he is a super hardcore military guy that looks the part. He commands great respect when he says that. When I say it as Jill the social worker, people just go tone deaf and stop listening. So I have long since given up trying to talk about personal responsibility because it's sort of uh, reserved for those who are extremely internally motivated, which is not everybody, uh, are those who are ready to do the hard work. And that's really my point with you here is to do the hard work because it's an internal process that's going to get us through what's happening and then putting together systems that will hopefully keep us sane. And so when I asked you to really think about this idea of how are you dealing with what is your response to everything that's going on out in the world and this incredible pressure to uh, you know both be practical but also you know pay attention to the big picture stuff Uh, but you know what I had shared what's hardest for me is the wild uncertainty around which tasks or practical things I'm putting my energy into because even you know doing this podcast it's like we don't know if there'll be internet tomorrow I mean where is the best place to invest our time and our energy and our focus because if you're like me it's limited I can't do everything 
But what I came away with is uh, two things. One, uh, I have to triage the practical stuff. I just can't get it all done. Uh, and the way I triage is there's the things that must be done by a specific timeline. There's the things that need to be done just because they need to be done. And there's the things I want to be done or I want to do. And that is my triage system. And what I'm noticing in other people, now that I'm not all by myself anymore, is we all have a different triage system of priorities. So uh, this isn't about what's correct. I'm just sharing what my process and systems are uh, and how I really come to terms with mostly everything I can't do and with the uncertainty. Because when I can accomplish something concrete, you know, like we had a lot of rain and so I got to see all the new places that there's leaking in my trailer. Uh, some of them I can do something about and some of them I can't. But the reality is, is I can't check my work until the next rain, which is supposed to be today. Luckily, we had yesterday off. We are so high in elevation. I tell you, it's like the thunder and lightning is happening next to me, not over me. It's, it's a, it is so intense. The whole trailer is shaking. It's even, I'm another, you know, a thousand to fifteen hundred feet higher than I have been living. I'm about seventy five hundred. I can't imagine what ten thousand, I have a friend who lives at ten thousand is like, but um, ten thousand feet elevation. But anyway, so I, that's how I triage, uh, but I'm observing, you know, not everybody does that. And I, uh, am aware of my limitations and so I pay strict attention to the weather. Uh, I try to procure the supplies before I need them uh, and I keep a list saying you know this is the day this has to get done even if it's the only thing I can accomplish for that day because it goes on my must list right. Leaking from the ceiling is unsustainable. Uh, I have additional leaking on the sides, but because it's, you know, a side plane, it's a vertical plane, it's not as uh, dire as the horizontal plane of the roof. So uh, that's that's kind of how I prioritize the practical. Uh, so what I must do to me that I deem essential based on my values and my uh, decision making about what's important for me uh, and then the second piece of that is it's not handling, it's not, like I said, it's not controlling, it's not uh, explaining, it's not understanding, it's not blaming, it's not complaining, it's not doing anything with the big stuff out there that I can't control uh, and I can't prepare for because you can't prepare for everything, it's just impossible. Uh, what I'm finding, I think, in terms of my own processes is how do I make peace with it? How, and that's what I've you know, been calling the art of containment. How do I become the center of the storm and not get swept away into the chaos? Uh, I'm still you know, in my Texas book. And in my Texas book, uh, we were just transported to, not to Galveston, it's, I think it was called Indianola but it got wiped out by two successive hurricanes. And so I don't know if you're familiar with Texas history, you might be able to correct me, but they were in competition with Galveston to be the number one port. And, you know, the storyline was how 
after the first hurricane destroyed everything, you know, a leader of the community convinced everybody to rebuild. And, you know, with the theory being that, oh, hurricanes never strike the same place twice. Uh, and it was interesting to listen to how their warning system took place, you know, because obviously uh, this was back in the late 1880s, 18, I think it was 1800 something. But they didn't obviously have the warning systems, you know, they didn't have the technology that we have, but they did have the telegraph. So they kind of had a sort of warning system. And, you know, there are the thinking was, you know, the government will tell us if it's going to be bad. Well, by the time the government, you know, said, hey, it's going to be bad, it was too late to really do anything about it. And because the series of events did not happen the way the previous uh, destruction happened in the first hurricane, you know, the decisions they made didn't work, you know, and a lot more people died. And so it is impossible to know, plan, and prepare for every existing catastrophe or fear or overwhelming thing that's going to happen to us. So what I really am coming to terms with is that the most important thing I can do for myself is to get through the energy of it. And I had shared last week or last Monday that there was a deep anxiety, a kind of a stress that I don't understand that's happening. It's more important for me to process that energy so it is not impacting me than it is for me understanding what specifically that is. And why I really feel like that still works is, you know, one of the things as a therapist that I learned along the way is that you do not have to understand the cause of mental illness or mental health or emotional issues in order to find a way through it. I don't like the word cure because I don't think we really understand mental or emotional health right now. But if you're depressed, you don't have to know why you're depressed. You just have to find what works. And some people, it's strictly a chemical issue. Uh, some people, it's an unresolved trauma. Uh, some people are in too much darkness. Uh, some people have unstable blood sugar. Uh, some people have difficulty handling, you know, the a lot of emotion. Uh, some people have a lot of uh, dysfunction that they haven't come to terms with, right? Some people make poor choices and they're still and they don't know how to deal, you know, with the with the outcomes of that. So depression can be a whole and it can be genetic. You can be born with a brain that's wired and predisposed to depression. There are a whole bunch of reasons what causes depression. You don't have to understand specifically in order to find a way to feel better. Now I will give you my, uh, for those of you who have any kind of mental health or mental or emotional issue, uh, I will give you my 10 second spiel that uh, you're not supposed to say as a therapist. First and most important is to correct any kind of underlying human issues, meaning nutrition, sleep, sunlight, exercise, uh, stress, uh, movement, body alignment, nutrition supplements, all that kind of stuff. Because nine times out of 10, what we label depression is uh, based on the fact that as humans, we are not living the way our physiology, our blueprint was designed. But there is still emotional things like trauma, loss, grief, things like that, that happen 
uh, that create a depression and it's supposed to be that way we're supposed to grieve we're supposed to shut down while we go through that process uh, and unfortunately we've labeled it as something that's supposed to be avoided at all costs and a problem that's supposed to be solved I will tell you from personal experience with lots of depression the most effective thing I found besides uh, instituting all my basic human stuff again is just to go through it. I found in my most intense depressions, uh, I couldn't hold on to the depth of that. I, I remember, you know, I was so bad. It was a, after a, a death. Uh, it was so bad. I was like, I'm never showering again. I don't care if I die. And there was a point where even I couldn't stand it. Like I had to take a shower. So I couldn't keep myself depressed so I didn't fight it I didn't push to feel better but there became a point where I couldn't sustain that depth of that depression that's a normal resolution of depression uh, and it should be you know between a two and three week period you should start to see some tiny signs of lifting little bits of appetite things like that uh, some desire for hygiene uh, if you continuously after three to four weeks keep sinking deeper and deeper and deeper then that's probably a point in time that you need to get some kind of intervention and assessment so that's my tiny social work therapist personal experience spiel on depression but let's come back to the point of the whole thing I just think this stuff is important uh, as we lose access to both sanity and probably systems and services here shortly so the way I and this and this is what gets me through all my bad times is my journaling and so when I was thinking about this uh, I have really come to realize and understand how vital the journaling process is for me because if I don't find a way to name and focus and clarify how I'm feeling and what I'm thinking and I don't get it out of me in a on paper written by hand it doesn't work for me to talk about it it doesn't work for me to type it on a computer it only works for me when I physically write pen or pencil on paper now that's just me but that's the only thing that works for me talking about it is not effective and nobody can see what I wrote the minute anybody sees it it I lose the ability to be honest and reality based and so I start editing so those are the things that are most important to me and I was thinking for me journaling is one of my core survival uh, needs you know food shelter health uh, and I would say journaling before community, before safety, before security, because I must have a way to discharge everything that's going on within me. And the reason I believe that is so important is we go back to personal responsibility, because if you truly want to do the work, then you will observe over time your narrative and find how you are focused are you blaming are you complaining are you whining about problems that are not getting resolved uh, are you waiting for someone to come in and rescue you uh, it creates over time a record of who you are if you are truly being authentic and honest with yourself uh, and if you're not ready to do that then that's okay and a lot of times 
uh, we can't see the pattern until a lot of time has passed and uh, when I before I burned all my journals uh, when I was back in Mountain Air because I couldn't carry them I had too many uh, that wasn't all of them I had I've been writing in journals since I was 15 14 or 15 so I've had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of journals and I can't carry them around with me but one of the things I did back in California before I left is I reread most of them I didn't you know read every word but I skimmed and my takeaway was oh my god I was so negative and so heavy the energy was so heavy uh, and it was important I had that process because uh, I was unbearable to be around uh, and I think you know there were some people that tried super hard to be friends but I could see why it was so hard to be friends with me because my energy was unbearably heavy uh, and I could see over time through all the work that I've done how that has systematically improved uh, what I know now is a lot of that was the ADHD brain the way my brain is wired the emotional dysregulation a lot of that was blood sugar imbalances because I was vegetarian uh, a lot of that was you know teens and 20s of being a woman and having you know crazy hormones all of the women will understand that some of the men too so there was a lot of things that were at play uh, but it gave me witness to my testimony if you want to use those words how far I had come uh, and I forget that you know because especially now because I'm going in a bit of a decline again you know my peak is over uh, you know my brain is changing in ways I can't control and so I'm having a lot of brain system changes uh, and so you know I'm using the journaling process as a way to unload my insanity in a safer place and not on other people so the long answer to that question for me is uh, I can't control the big stuff but I can't tolerate the discomfort all this big stuff is causing and since there's no way of knowing what it's going to be in the same way there's no way of preparing for it absolutely I am choosing to invest my energy into not letting it derail me because that really is the whole point and you know if you look at the social engineering aspect of this intense fear is to keep us dysregulated right to keep us upset to keep us off balance because uh, of all those things we talked about you know with the nervous system is it can't handle chronic stress and you know natural disasters nuclear war starvation famine economic collapse blah 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 all of these things by themselves are stressful but to have everything kind of being thrown at us 24 7 365 it is unbearable and the wild uncertainty that I was talking about is unbearable and I passionately believe in the power of the journaling process to really work through all of that because it's okay to have crazy thinking but it's not always a good idea to share your crazy thinking and and we need a place to discharge it 
including our anger and our frustration and our judgment and our grief, all those emotions that don't need to get dumped on anybody else or stuffed down because they always pop up in a different way, uh, that is the true power of the journaling process. So, uh, you know, I am really owning that as my primary thing is the practical stuff is triage, what must be done, what needs to be done, what do I want to have done? And no, that makes me le- it makes me unfun. But as I'm comparing what's going on with others, it also makes me more comfortable because I have what I need. Uh, I can do what's important to me on a practical side. Uh, and it's not perfect, but I work really, really hard. And so I'm okay not being very fun because I feel like I'm doing what I value and that's getting stuff done. I I was coming up with that. I may not be fun, but I get stuff done to the best of my ability. There's times, there's lots I can't do. In fact, I can't ever get everything done, but you guys all get that, right? So that's kind of how I deal with that. So I'm going to offer that to you as a way, how are you dealing with the overwhelmingly wild uncertainty of too much to do at a practical level and too much to be afraid of at a abstract big picture level and how do we choose what to invest our time and energy in. And so for me, the practical stuff must need want is the way I triage my list and the big overwhelming stuff. I know I can't control it. I don't want to blame and I don't want to complain and I don't want to opine on all of it. What I want is to not feel insane and out of control and anxious or depressed or whatever. So that's how I'm choosing to manage that. And my primary way I do that is through the physical discharge of the energy by focusing it and uh, documenting it and then I can let it go. And that's how I find my way back. So that's the end of that thing. Uh, but there's a couple other things I wanted to talk to you about because we had uh, an ex- I had an experience yesterday that really uh, knee-jerked me into uh, how I need to start changing my thinking a little bit. And uh, I was out, uh, uh, Haven's brother Storm was here, so they're just twins, like they're so cute playing together. Uh, so uh, Freedom had gone inside and those two were playing and I was getting ready to go get water. So I had my two big three-gallon jugs empty in my hand. And there was a guy across the street. And he was kind of looking into the neighbor. I hadn't talked to the neighbor yet. And I waved because, you know, I, I just waved. So he tried to talk to me. And I was too far away. And I couldn't hear him. And, you know, there's a barbed wire fence. And... Uh, he was on the road, and I don't know who it is, so I didn't go all the way to the fence, but I tried to get closer where I could hear him. Uh, and he was, uh, as most people are, not telling a very clear story. I didn't know the people he was talking about, but the bottom line was he was stranded, and he needed a way off the mountain. Uh, and then there was some kind of stray dog. So I don't know what was true and what was not true at this point. And you know, I'm carrying these two jugs, and he's saying, and I'm almost out of water, and I did not offer support, but I made a lot of mistakes, 
Uh, I shared too much information about the neighbor across the street who I don't know, but I gave out way too much information about him. Uh, I gave out way too much information about me. Uh, and I. it took me a while to catch myself and say, I need to start practicing for the day where I need to be much more uh, safety and security oriented because that is our topic for the month. And so uh, I just wanted to share uh, some things around that because uh, it's one thing to know it intellectually, uh, but it's very difficult if you're not practicing it on a daily basis. And so there were, like I said, I made a lot of mistakes. So the first one was uh, I waved and invited my my energy opened. I invited him to tell me his story. Uh, as he was telling me his story, it took me a minute. I didn't really realize it till afterwards. When people are telling you their story, which is always you know what's bad is happening to them, right? Because those are the you what you're on the lookout for is people who are uh, trying to take advantage, to trying to see what you have. I mean, there's a lot of of uh, criminality in a predator mind, right? So the story I heard was, here are all my problems. No solutions, no direct asking. So I don't have a ride, I don't know anybody, I'm stranded, I'm running out of water, uh, I was abandoned, and then naming a bunch of people that I didn't know. What I didn't hear as I'm holding my two things, the water, right, was specifically like, would it be okay if I got a gallon of water? Uh, do you know anybody who travels down the mountain that I could catch a ride with? So there was no problem solving. There was only, I am a victim of my circumstances. And uh, just sort of a helpless, hapless feeling. So that's one way people test you to see what they can get, what you'll respond to when they're trying to uh, figure out where your boundary is and how far they can push into your space. I didn't invite, I didn't go to the fence. I didn't invite them onto the property, uh, but I also didn't offer anything. What he didn't do, which is sort of in contrast to what I just said, another way people test your boundaries is they do start asking for, can I have this? Can I have that? Do you have that? Well, do you mind if, can I get this? And I noticed that a lot when I was working with people on the street is that people who are already used to being victims and having free handouts, they push the boundary of what they can get. Can I get this? Can I get that? And I remember, you know, I would get so pissed off because it didn't matter how much I did. Here's food. Here's medicine. Here's a taxi. Here's a hotel voucher. Here's clothes. It was never enough. So there's two types of uh, predators around these two things. There's the victim who is never going to solve their own problem and they're always going to be a bucket with a hole in it. You will never be able to fill up their never-ending need because they take no personal responsibility. And then there's the super predator who's acting like the victim or acting self-assured, asking you. But both of those are pushing to see what you have, what you will do, and what they will get. Now, the more the crisis is, the more difficult this is going to be to define who's okay and who's not okay if you don't have a good instinct for people. But 
what you're always listening for is the person that's taking responsibility. Uh, can I can I have a gallon of water? Uh, I I will be happy to pay you for it. Uh, can I give you? Can I do this work in exchange for uh, food? Right. So the person now they, there's a game to that, but what you're listening for and what you're looking for are people who are taking some degree of responsibility. And, you know, we all have, not all of us, but most of us have a heart, right? We don't want to turn down people who are truly in need. But as the world continues to fall apart and the systems continue to go offline, no 911, no ambulance, no fire, no police, no sheriff, no uh, homeless services, no Medicaid, no food stamps, no food banks, right? No free transportation. This is only going to get worse and worse and worse. No animal control, no child services. And so the need is going to increase forever. And you're going to have to decide what you can and can't do and the consequences around that. And there is no answer to that, just to be very clear. Uh, one of the things that I know intellectually and am practicing in real time because I haven't been with people for so long is that my criteria is based on a shared value system, meaning uh, if you are working really hard and you're doing everything you have, regardless of how little or how much it is, right? You may be impaired and you can only do a little bit. But if I see you taking action and doing the best you can, I'm watching what you're doing, I'm more likely to step in and help. Uh, if I help once and there's no change in behavior, I'm less likely to help a second time. If I help and there's no reciprocity, I'm less likely to help. So the value system you have to define for yourself. Now my value system is integrity, responsibility, dependability, honesty, things like that. That is not the type of people that usually live out here. Uh, and you know you get people who are off-grid because they're like me, they want to be out and about. There's people who are out here because they're hiding from the law. Uh, there's a lot of people out here who are uh, buying, selling, using drugs. Uh, there's a lot of people out here who uh, don't think twice about stealing. Uh, so there's a lot of different types of people and value system. And that's on top of all the nervous system stuff that we've talked about. Some people can't respond to a crisis because they don't, they're not wired to do it. So there's a difference between a shared value system and the capacity to function in the face of danger or crisis. And so that takes time to evaluate. Uh, is that person bringing enough to this community that I want to stay in contact with them? Or are they just going to freeze up and in a crisis and then they're frozen up or distracted out of the crisis, right? Their so value system is not to get stuff done. Uh, so the most important thing for me in my inner circle, if I was to have people that were one or two people I count on, has to be a shared value system. Because one of the things that's happening right now that's different 
there's two things happening the first thing is you know America has a traditional history of being really good in a crisis right rising to the occasion when there's crisis or or chaos what's happening now is that we have so many people that don't function anymore there's just we've we've so uh, created a victim culture that in a crisis people don't know how to function they're waiting for somebody to help and so what happens is that we invest in people that we believe when the chips are down they're going to come through for us what's happening is that is not happening and it's happening for the reason of this victim culture but it's also happening because what's going on with our body and our brain with all the toxicity and now with the you know unknown substance that's been injected you know once twice three times four times that's not something that we've seen before in our history in our immediate history uh, so there's mental illness because of maybe more traditional forms of mental illness and but there's also something else going on now that isn't responsive and won't be responsive to therapy or understanding or what I call like the human intervention reestablishing those basic human things like sunlight and exercise and sleep you know basic things that will rebalance us and make us feel good again because there are structural changes that are happening because of chemicals because of toxins because of electromagnetic frequencies uh, there's so much going on that I don't know what's real and what's not real uh, what I can tell you as a mental health professional and lots and lots 20 plus years of talking to people what's happening is different and it isn't fixable by any way that I am aware of. It's not a medication issue. It's not a nutrition issue. It's none of that stuff. Um, the puppy is out and usually that means she has to go to the bathroom and we have the spot on the floor. I'm in the back of the trailer so I'm watching to see if she's going to go. But if I stop the audio it's over and I'm not done talking so we'll just keep our fingers crossed. So I wanted to talk about that because uh, you know, I started with this guy. I didn't know who he was. And then I started to reevaluate everything. I don't, I, you know, I just walk around without any kind of way to protect myself because I haven't needed to. I've always felt safe. I've always been able to read people. And I know I don't attract crazy. But now I'm in an environment where crazy is here. So I don't have control over the people who come and go off this property and some of them are dangerous I don't have control over that so I need to be more aware uh, the next thing I realized as he was eyeballing my truck is when my truck has in the line of sight from the road it's a 40 I have 39 gallons of gas when that thing is full so the truck may not be something that somebody wants to steal but there is a precious commodity especially here where we're 20 miles from the closest gas station so I'm like I better move that off right I better start practicing carrying something on my person or having something close by but preferably on my person just as a way to be 
not because I'm afraid something's happened, but stop being oblivious to it, to start shifting my mentality around this idea that things are like they were before. Uh, that I need to start being more practical about uh, who I talk to and what I say and as I was blurting out information that I should not be blurting out. Uh, you know that's just a bad habit and you know I think one of the things that happens is when you spend a lot of time alone uh, you tend to overshare uh, and a, an example of that is the guy who came home across the street, the one who the walk, guy walking on the street was looking for, uh, we ended up talking because I w wanted to tell him that somebody was looking for him. I didn't tell him that I gave him way too much personal information about this guy who, who I'd never met. I was just, I've observed his when he's home and when he's not home, right? And uh, he was talking nonstop and I was in sandals and there was ants all over my feet and I'm bouncing around and I I kept saying I ha I'd love to talk to you but I have to go because you know the ants are all over my feet I can't focus and uh, and he said well I haven't talked to anybody in a long time because <laughs> he was just talking 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 and I'm like well I'd be happy to talk to you but I really need to get off this uh, land because the ants are all over my bare feet which I don't really want to do but he was in boots and he was open carrying he had his gun strapped outside on his pants and uh, and it was good I got to talk to him because now I know my neighbor and he was sharing information with me that was important to what's going on around here but I was trying to be more careful and judicious now because you never know what people are telling you what's true and what's not true uh, and it sounds like the guy who was telling me the story was correct I mean he wasn't making stuff up and he wasn't really casing anything he was just genuinely stuck but uh, I don't choose to take responsibility for that because I don't know him and I'm not driving anywhere for a long time because gas is not getting any cheaper, right? I have to organize and that's my must. I must protect my uh, transportation. I must protect my income. I must protest, protect my gas supply because it's limited right now. We all don't know what's going to happen. Back to that big picture, right? This could be the last trip down. It could be the last tank of gas we don't know so it was a really good experience and then I just want to share one funny thing about talking to this guy across the street so he was you know he's into all the alternative kind of thinking stuff that uh, I think about too but at one point he said uh, well he wasn't afraid of what's happening he's actually delighted and I'm like delighted I haven't heard anybody refer to what's going on and finding a way to be delighted in the midst of all of it he feels you know he, even though he says we're in a dangerous place he feels like his understanding of what's happening in the world and he has his own you know decisions around that uh, he feels perfectly safe he feels perfectly he's capable of surviving it all and he's delighted so you know we're all having a really unique experience within this process of a wild uncertainty and so there is no absolute way through uh, but I wanted to share this stuff because uh, you know this is a really hard time uh, you know I think for anybody who hasn't had you know the fabulous experience of basically living in the dirt you know uh, I was thinking it's not just going to be off-grid, it's going to be no gas, right? No gas, no grid. How hard it is and how much work 
there is and how much organization and discipline that is required and future thinking uh, and that you know we are not oriented to think about seasons and and we're not oriented to think about uh, cycles you know what needs to happen when and everything you know that our forefathers knew is you have to plan ahead you have to be doing the thing now right planting food to prepare for what's next you have to be harvesting firewood in summer and fall or spring summer and fall for winter you can't wait until well you can but it, it's a nightmare so we are not conditioned as civilization and culture in the western world to think in those terms either we live in a place where we haven't had to because the climate's pretty consistent but we have so controlled our environment uh, we have implemented so many systems that have taken away our personal responsibility for feeding ourselves for our health for our uh, transportation for our safety and security uh, we don't factor that stuff in when we wake up in the morning we don't think about how our electricity is going to get produced or how our water is going to show up or where our food is going to come from or how the gas stations will be full at a price we can afford we don't think about that stuff we think about where do I want to go what do I want to eat how much how do I want to prepare it what do I feel like right what do I feel like eating today versus you know what do I even have to eat and how can I make it as nutritious as possible so that I'm achieving some level of health to survive because this world without all these backup systems is really hard and what's going to make it just unbearable as we move through these uh, next months and years is the fact that most of us aren't thinking that way and we're not conditioned that way and now you know we're poisoned we're rewired we're toxified we're so screwed up we, we won't be capable of making those decisions. And then we're going to be left with the brutal reality of having to make choices about who we help, how much we help, if we help, versus you know what happens when we need help because you won't be able to do this all by yourself. Uh, and, in a, and the reason I like to focus on this stuff, I was thinking about that too, so I'm going to do this one last thing, is that... Uh, if we have plenty of food and plenty of gas and plenty of energy and plenty of mon money and lots of health care and everybody's functioning, it's really easy to gear up into that. Like if there was a switch that got flipped that said, hey, Jill, you don't have to know this stuff anymore because it's it's off the table. We're just going to life is just going to be normal and good. It's really easy to gear back up into civilization. It is not easy to gear down, to come back down to doing everything manually. That has been, I've been doing it for 10 years now, more than 10 years. It is exhausting. It requires a tremendous amount of discipline and fortitude. Uh, there's no I don't feel like it when it comes to certain things. 
you know, I always go back to my, it's only twice that I have let myself run out of water thinking, oh, I'll just do it tomorrow. And then finding tomorrow was either a broken well where there was no access or in the dead of winter, everything was frozen up. There was no access. And that never happened again uh, because there is no backup when our systems go down. And you can't prepare for all of it. The best you can do is decide what is important to you based on your values. I think that's the most important thing. And then how are you going to deal with all the other stuff, or the, the guilt, the frustration, the anger? Uh, because you can't just pick up and move, right? There's not going to be this uh, F you, I'm out of here because there's some magical place where you can just rent a new house or buy a new house and turn on your utilities and go to the grocery store. I mean, that's going to be over if we keep going the way we're going. If we don't, super easy to re-establish yourself into civilization and culture. But if civilization and culture keep going down, that gearing down, that's going to be really, really difficult. And that's why I focus on all this stuff where all my purchases, you know, I don't have a lot of money, but all my money goes to, to figuring out how to be healthy, how to be sane, and what do I do? Do I have what I need if the lights go out? Because if the lights stay on and there's plenty of power and there's internet and there's cell phone, I don't, you know, that's easy. That is easy to function in that world. It's not easy to function in a world where all those things go away. And I feel better practicing that stuff now and in my past than I do pretending nothing's ever going to happen. And I am super happy to be wrong because the worst case is I've gained invaluable lessons and skills and perspective that I would never give up or trade. As hard as some of this has been, uh, it's been easy, you know, compared to what a lot of people are going through, and it's been a piece of cake uh, compared to a crash landing. So I hear puppy coming back one more time, which means we really need to go out and do a potty. Uh, thank you for sharing this time with me, and I, my friends, will see you next time. <laughs>